As Finney mentioned, good morning. Glad you're here. Hello, folks online. Thank you for being with us and out in the tent. I'll try to move less this service for the folks in the tent. I heard last time I, my agile self got out of frame. Just never know. Hey, we are starting a new series in Matthew, and I, I, I just a little insight to my first series that I ever preached here um, over 20 years ago was in John. Jay's first series that he's putting together is going to be in Matthew, and so I just love that he's starting um, with stories about Jesus, and he's going to, I asked him, how long is the series going to last? He said, I'm not sure, a long time. So we're going to be in Matthew a while. We were actually secretly in Matthew, we didn't tell you, but we were in Matthew for the Christmas story, and uh, we, that's where we got that, and now we're going to be working our way through Matthew. And I'm super excited about getting to do that. Today's message is going to be one where it's going to be pretty practical, some things that you can, that you can use right away in terms of studying the Scriptures, but also very, not only just thinking, but very much um, challenged to your heart, I hope. That's what I'm praying for. So let me pray for us, and we will jump in. Matthew chapter 3. God, thank you. We are gathered together um, with the opportunity to hear from you. So with the wisdom of the Father and the sacrifice of the Son and the presence of the Spirit, God, we ask that our time would be more than just words. Holy Spirit, we need you for us to really change, for us to really move in the spirit realm um, in terms of growth. Holy Spirit, we need you. So I just come asking for that. And uh, commit our time to you. Also, pray for my friends Shelly uh, and Phil Rogers and her new diagnosis with more cancer. And I just, I know how discouraging that could be. And uh, so I pray for her and Phil and, and ask that you would give them grace and encouragement and strength as they go into this, another battle with cancer that has come back. So commit them to you and us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 3. Let me just read the verse. We're going to just be in two verses today. Um, it, John chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, we're going to work our way through this, but before we do, I want to give you some tools because we're constantly asking you to get into the Scriptures for yourself, and we tell you how easy it is and what's out there, but there are times when you kind of come back and say, yeah, I found the website, but I, don't have, I can't really figure it out. So I want to bring your attention some things. There are some uh, softwares out there that you can buy your own personal Bible software. There's lots of advantages. You get to you get to shape your own layout and how it'll look on your screen. You get to build your library and add resources to it. And then you don't have to have internet access to be able to use it. But the problem with Bible tools, the good ones, is that they're very expensive. And the great news is there's websites that are very good that are absolutely free. So I want to show you two. If you're going to invest in a, in a Bible software, see me, let me know, and I'll give you some ideas about which ones. But uh, let me show you two websites that you can begin to use right away um, in your Bible study. And I want to walk you through some of it so that we can 
kind of see how to use it. The first one is Bible.org. If you were to type in Bible.org, it would take you to a weird page that would have a beautiful picture on it. And uh, you would see this. It's coming. Yes. And if when, you would go right there. And then on this, uh, right below this picture, there would be a box that says uh, Net Bible. You click there. And then it gets you started into a wonderful Bible study tool that looks like this. Now, in there, on the first thing that I would like for you to do is on the right-hand side over here, I want you to make sure you click Constable's Notes and get away from Translation Notes and get Constable's Notes. It's a wonderful commentary for the whole Scriptures, and it's free. It's right there free for you. I use this every week. I use Constable's every single week um, in my um, Bible study, and I just find it as an excellent tool as he draws from lots of different resources, gives you several different viewpoints towards it. Then on the left-hand side of the page, I'd like for you to notice that you would, you would make sure that you're in the right place in Matthew chapter 3. It's a drop-down menu. You get to choose your version here, Net 2. Um, the NET translation is an excellent translation. The disadvantage of this um, there's other translations here on this website, but the disadvantage is it does not have the NIV. Um, but you'll have this, and then if you want to study a word, like you get to the word repent, and you'd like to study that word, you click on the word repent, and then click on the little magnifying glass when, that, when this box pops up. And then that, that'll bring you to this wonderful um, box that comes up, and there it's basically going to say, um, the word search is to search the word you've highlighted in English. So you can rep search repent in English throughout the scriptures. You want to do your concordance work. And by concordance, I mean searching for words. You want to do that electronically. Do not do it. It's too cumbersome to do it with a book, with a paper one, unless you just love paper and you just got to touch it. I, my wife's that way. Okay, that's all right. The Strong's box, if you want to do the search for the word in Greek, if you're in the New Testament, or in Hebrew, if you're in the Old Testament, you click the Strong's box. And then if you want to do the word study, they will do a little work for you and grab the Greek word or Hebrew, whichever it is, depending on where you are in the Bible. And if you click that word study, then you get this page over here on the right side of the screen. And what's happened there is, is it introduces you to metaneo, metanoeo. Right there is the, it is in the Greek, and it tells you how to say it. And then it'll give you a couple of definitions out of a Greek dictionary or Hebrew and out of an English dictionary if you want it. And you can get that study. It'll do the work for you. Okay? Now, blueletterbible.org is another option. And when you type in blueletterbible.org, unfortunately, you come to a very busy homepage. But there on the right hand, top right-hand side, you have a, drop, a, a box where you can actually click on it and drop down, and then you can type in or choose the book of the Bible that you want to study. So you would click, you would put in Matthew 3, verse 1, which is where we are in this particular example. Then you have the opportunity of getting the NIV version. That's the advantage. So if you really, really love the NIV, then this is the option for you. It's just that the NIV doesn't love you back. The publishers of the NIV are very restrictive about who can use it and where they can use it. And so Blue Letter Bible has paid uh, a fee so that they can use this, this published Bible. And so you have the NIV here. Then you would click the little green box, and this will come up. 
And on the left-hand side, you see that you've got the passage there, one verse at a time, with some little things that are kind of added in. Now, let, let me draw your attention to this up at the top, where it says Mark 1 and Luke 3. These are the other places in the Gospels where um, you can read about John the Baptist, this same story that's going on in Matthew 3. A lot of your Bibles that you have in print would have that. It's a very handy um, cross-reference resource if you're studying the Gospels, um, especially because the story is repeated in other ones, but there's information in those repetitions that you don't get in one version, but you get in another. And I'll show you that in just a second, how that works out. Now, if, you're, if you pull all this up and you click on tools that you see right there, then when you click on tools, this, this comes up and it kind of freaks you out a little bit, but it becomes an interlinear um, Bible for you, which basically gives you it in English and in Greek running simultaneous through the verse, every word. And so you can do different things. If you just look at this, you can look, and if you, if you click on the English word over here now, it'll do that word search for you in English. If you want to do it in Greek or Hebrew, if it's Hebrew in the Old Testament, you click on the Strong's number, and it will do that search in the language. And then if you want to see this word, um, there's the transliteration, day, and then that's it in Greek. Right here, it'll, you click on this, and it'll tell you how to pronounce it. And if you click on this one over here, it will, it will parse the word for you and tell you what, what form it is in the, in the sentence structure. Is it a noun? Is it a verb? Is it in the imperative form? Those kinds of things you can actually get there. Now, I want you to hear, hear this. You can do this. You can do this. Now, let me talk to a particular audience online and in the room, and you're over 50, and I'm in there with you. It will not be as intuitive for you, and you will, every time you click, you kind of, my wife is this way, she's like, ah, I don't know where it's going to go. You can't break it, okay? You just can't break it. And if you're 25, you already know that. But when you're 50, you just don't, and it, and it just stunts the whole process. Just get over yourself and let it go. And just get used to, and you can just try one of these two sites or uh, um, other sites that are out there. And you just begin to familiarize with yourself with it. If it goes and you just say, where, how in the world did I get here? I don't even know where Matthew is anymore. Just start over. Just back it up and start over. And if you think you got to do that a lot, just home, just do a little homepage for that starting page and then just go through it the best you can. And as you work your way through this, you will begin to recognize that you can do this. Say it with me. I can do it. I can do it. Say it with me with meaning. I can do it. You can do this. You can do this. And if you believe that the scriptures, even if you don't believe that they're the word of God, the authoritative for your life, you would at least say it's an important book that deserves your attention, which I would think would be way too low. But if that's, if that's all you can give it, then that's fine. Then start there and begin to work your way through and start with something that looks like this. Now, you say to Steve, Steve, how would I start? 
I mean, you gave me some websites and you told me to type in the reference, but what would it look like if I was to really get going? And then I would say, okay, let's go back to the passage. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. You would first start with that statement right at the front that would cause some questions. In those days. What days? I mean, in chapter two, we got the Magi visiting the infant baby. We got the Mary and Joseph running to Egypt for fear of their life. We've got them returning back to Nazareth because of a dream. Is Jesus still a baby? What days? When is this going on? Now, you remember I said that some of your Bibles will have a cross-reference to other places in the, in the Scriptures where you are studying that has the exact same story or close to it. If you go to Luke chapter 3, which you would know to do because you saw it right there, then you would right away realize those days are not what was in chapter... There's a gap between chapter 2 and chapter 3. You with me? Good. And the gap is probably 27, 28 years. And we don't know what happened in there. Man, would we love to. Man, would we love to know what Jesus was like as a 14-year-old other than perfect, right? Just because we've never seen a perfect 14-year-old. We'd like to. But we don't. We don't have those years. Best research will tell you, and you will get that if you opened Constable's Notes on Bible.org. Your best research says that it's about 29 A.D. It's about 29 A.D., so some time has passed. If you're looking for the Magi, they're probably dead. If you're looking for Simeon and Anna in the Christmas story, they're probably dead. Shepherds, some are probably alive, some may be dead by now. Very few people know what's going on when we drop down in this with John preaching about the coming of Christ. And Luke tells us who's ruling in Rome and who's ruling in Jerusalem, and we're able to piece those, those pieces of information together and with extra biblical resources know when the 15th year of Tiberius is. That's what Luke tells us. Okay, with me? So the first thing you would do is those days. Well, when are we talking about? And then it says, in those days, John the Baptist. Now, hint, there's a lot of Johns in the Bible. It's a really common name. There's at least three names that are really big names in the scriptures. John the Baptist, John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John and also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. And then we also have um, John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. So would you say there's three pretty big guys. In fact, let me just tell you, as you clicked on John the Baptist and you started doing some research, you would find that that dude shows up almost 150 times in the scriptures. He's a big deal. 
Now you'll also learn as you read about him that he's a relative of Christ. And that Zechariah and Elizabeth, his parents, who are not still probably alive because they were very old at the time, Elizabeth was a relative to Mary. And so John the Baptist is one of the few people breathing air at this time that knows about Jesus. Obviously, Jesus knows about him. Mary's clued in, but very few other folks. And John is, John, here, this is amazing. Now, this I found, I actually Googled, it's legal, Googled John the Baptist. And what I found when I Googled him was lots of stuff, but this was fascinating to me. The Eastern Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church, Islam, and Baha'i all celebrate an annual date in honor of John the Baptist. Now, what did I say earlier? This guy's a big deal. He's a really big deal. In fact, Jesus would say that though among those born of woman, he is the greatest. This is, a, this is just a really big deal. And so you can spend tons of effort going around John the Baptist, but what it does for our passage is it is asks and answers this question, who? Now we know when, now we know who, what about where? It says that John the Baptist comes and he preaching, he's preaching in the wilderness. Okay, two things. First, preaching. Preaching, you find preaching over 60 times in the New Testament. You find the word for preaching that's used here. And it's, it's not what you think. When you hear preaching, you think of well-crafted, interesting, dynamic, 35 minutes with me. I'm being facetious. But you think about some presentation. Preaching in the New Testament is used completely different. And it's used, more understanding would be, it's an announcement. It's a declaration of a fact. If you were to come, on, come in and say, I would say, today is Sunday here in this country. And you would say, he just preached. He made an, a declaration, an announcement. And so you've got John the Baptist giving this very small sermon. And I know some of y'all thought, man, Steve could learn from that dude. But it's, we don't preach this. This is really a declaration. And, and John's sermon in its entirety here recorded is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So that's, that's the declaration. We'll get to that in a minute. So that would be preaching. Wilderness, where, where is that? I mean, we know in terms of when and who, but now this, this, this will happen with, help us with where, but where is this going on? Now, you would, help, you would find help with this as you work through the Bible study tools. Again, Constable would tell you that He's in the wilderness just west of the Dead Sea and north a little bit. Now, let me help you with this. I hope you can see this. Um, this right here would be the Dead Sea. And then this is the Jordan River. 
And then this is the Sea of Galilee. With me? You see it good enough? Got it. Okay. This length from tip to tip from the southernmost part of the Dead Sea to the northernmost part of Galilee is one, approximately 100 miles. Israel is small. It's smaller than California by a bunch here. That's 100 miles. If you go just north of the tip of the Dead Sea, you'll, you'll find Jerusalem. Bethlehem is just south of it. Jericho is just down the hill from Jerusalem. The wilderness is somewhere right in here. And trust me, there's nothing going on there except lizards and rocks. It's very barren. And he would preach here, and then they would move, go right over to the Jordan River to do the baptisms. And you will see that means that those who came to listen to him, and if you go, hope, hope you'll go and read further, John, uh, Matthew chapter 3, the religious leaders and people just on their own accord would go down a mountain out of Jerusalem. That's why whenever you're going to Jerusalem, it's always up. Doesn't mean north. Okay, you would go out of Jerusalem, you would go down the hill, think twice Highway 9, twice as high as Highway 9. Go down there, go out into the wilderness, and you'd see this weird-dressed dude, dressed completely like a prophet. The minute you see him, you would think, oh my gosh, Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the prophets, you would begin to think that. And then he would go down into the desert and you would think separation from, there's something new coming. Last time we were in the desert, everything changed. And that's on purpose. He didn't just pick randomly say, hey, I wonder where I can go, you know. Couldn't find any place to go in the city, so I went out into the wilderness. No, he's there on purpose. All of the imagery is rich in terms of what he's saying, and that is where all this happens. Then it says, again, you would just be doing this. You might be doing it as a Google Doc and just cutting and pasting stuff. You might actually use real paper. There's this thing called a pen that actually will transfer ink right on the page if you ever try one. So I tried going to an electronic journal. I couldn't do it. It just doesn't work for me. I got to I got to do it. I know I'm old. Okay, so preaching, and what is he preaching? Repent. I already told you that it's the only imperative command in these two verses. And repent is metanoeo. It's a compound word, meta, which means a change of place, condition, means to change, and then noeo means to think or to exercise your mind. And so when you put change and the thinking of your mind, it's, it's, it's basically defined as this, a regret of sorrow or sorrow accompanied by a true change of heart towards God. One commentator said that the best way to think about it is to turn around. You see where you are, you recognize it's where you, where you want to be. You change and turn and start thinking a different direction. That that is what repent is. Now, it just so happens that this word is incredibly important for you to understand the narrative of the Scriptures. Now, why do I say that? First, John the Baptist, who is preparing the way for Jesus to come, 
This is his message. If you want to know what he preached the next week, he said the same thing. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, you go to Matthew chapter 4 and you realize Jesus comes on the scene. He goes through the wilderness. He, he gets baptized. He starts to preach. Guess what he preaches? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And if you're paying attention, you'd be sitting there going, I think I heard this. Isn't that what John said? And without apology, Jesus says exactly what John was saying. Then he, later on in his ministry, he grabs his disciples and he puts them together two by two. And he says, I want you to go out to all the towns. And he said, okay, and this is where you stay. You try to find a place like this. And then he says, and this is what you're going to say. Say this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. John, Jesus, his disciples, Peter in Acts chapter 2, the very first sermon that comes when the church is born, guess what Peter says? Repent. Turn. Turn to God. And then when you go to Acts chapter, chapter 27, I'm 17 and 26, we find that Paul's message is the same. Let me show it to you. This is how his succinct he is with it. He was teaching those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and then he started preaching to the Gentiles, and he preached that they should repent. That's all we know. So now, you've seen this, this is word is huge because it's John, Jesus, disciples, when the church is born from Peter and Paul. But if you keep looking a little bit further, you end up in the last book of the Bible in Revelation, and we have these words to seven churches, which most people think are churches that existed and that churches are in the future too with applications for us. And in every instance, every church is commanded to repent. This word is a big deal. You can't understand what it means to come to Christ if you don't understand what it means to turn away. In the scriptures throughout the New Testament, whenever you find repent, it's always got this sister word with it. Confess and repent. Confess and repent. Confess and repent. Confess means I agree, God, with you about what I did. I'm going to quit rationalizing it. I'm going to quit defending it. I'm going to quit renaming it. You call it sin. I'll call it sin. I confess that that's what I did, and I turn from it. Let me tell you what confession or repentance is not. God, I'm really sorry that I keep having sex with my girlfriend. I am so sorry. And then you think, when am I going to see her again? And do I have a condom in my pocket? That is not confession. That is sorrow for a sin you know that is wrong, but a refusal to turn away from it. And so you are still driving the car. So repent then, um, kind of tells us the what. Last phrase is repent. Well, before we move on, sorry. I don't like telling you this part, so I almost skipped it, but not on purpose. I'm going to go back to it. Why repent? Because 
the culture that we live in would say you don't need to. They would say you're a good dude or a good dudette. That there's, you, can, you are the captain of your fate. Just a little more time. Just try a little harder and you can do it. That is not God's proclamation over mankind. Let me read to you Psalm 14. It says this beginning in verse 2. The Lord looks down from heaven on all of mankind to see if there are any who understand and any who seek God. And then he says, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans is kind of our New Testament proclamation of the state of mankind, what God's done about it, and the invitation to accept it. And there's, th there's a thing called the Romans Road that kind of goes like this. Somewhere around in chapter 3, it's going to tell you that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one can make it to God on their own effort. If you could, God would tell us and he would have spared his son. But you cannot. And the proclamation, the consistent proclamation is, left to ourselves, we will fall short of God's glory. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And that Christ died even for us, around chapter 5, Christ died for us even when we were God's enemies. And that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Repent is so critical and it's so difficult for us because the culture that we live in, the air that we breathe is primarily telling you, you're okay and I'm okay. Let me read you from Dallas Willard's book, The Renovation of the Heart. And this is the way he would respond to that statement. He says this, I'm not okay and you're not okay. We're all in serious trouble. That must be our starting point. Self-esteem in such a situation will only breed self-deception and frustration as is now increasingly recognized. Denial is the primary device that humans use to deal with their own wrongness. It was, this it was the first thing out of Adam and Eve after they sinned and it continues up to the latest edition of the newspaper. And a 24-7 newscast thrive on all the mistakes that are being made. There is plenty to talk about. Now, I am not saying that you're incapable of doing anything good. I'm not saying that you're a horrible person without Christ. I'm saying before a holy God, you can't reach that standard. And that's the requirement that God asks. And knowing that we could not make it on our own, he allowed Christ to come and live the perfect life and then carry the burden of our sins to Calvary's cross and pay for them, pay the debt that was owed. And then freely he offers this gift to anyone who would believe. Anyone, freely, by faith, you were saved by grace. If you will just repent and surrender your will. Confession and surrender in repentance. This is the way that Jesus, when he told a story, this is the way Jesus told a story to kind of illustrate this in terms of our trying to make our own way to God. 
to some who were confident, it's in Luke 18, to some who were confident on their, of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now stop. Right away, the sides are clearly drawn. Pharisee is the holiest person in the world. In Jesus' day, it's the one that's doing the best to keep the 600 and plus commands every day of their lives. And then the tax collector is a sellout. He sold out his family, all of his loved ones, his, home, his, his own country and his home so that he can make a lot of money and, uh, and be rich. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers and even this tax collector here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. The tax collector stood at a distance and he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, as he watched that, he says, I tell you what, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's just a road you cannot take on your own, and yet you don't have to. The last phrase is the kingdom of heaven. And now we get the why. Why in those days did John the Baptist preach in the wilderness to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near? And it's not, it's not that Jesus is going to fix everything. Gosh, guys, can you see this? He didn't, he didn't defeat Rome. He didn't free Israel. He didn't take away hunger and sickness. He did that for certain individuals, but he, he himself is going to die the most heinous death on a Roman cross. And he promises not to take away suffering, but to be with you in it. The kingdom of heaven is not a pleasure factory. It's not, a, it's not a cloud resort where everything works. The kingdom of heaven is where God's will reigns completely. And all of the effects and sin itself are removed from the ongoings. And then we are free to be the people we were created to be according to our personalities and gifts and desires and passions. And we will love living so much at this place that time will pass without our notice. You, you get this now. You've had this. Perhaps this past week you were so in sync with a book you read or, or playing with a small child or a hobby that you were engaged with. And you were so engaged in it that you looked up and said, oh my gosh, two hours have passed and I thought it had only been 15 minutes. You get these brief little snippets of it. That's what we'll have for eternity. Now you might be saying, yeah, man, dude, you just don't know 
what a scum-sucking pig I am. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know what I think. And you're right, I don't. I don't know. But I know the consistent testimony of Jesus is, however far you've gone, his grace extends beyond that. To say that you've gone somewhere that Jesus' grace doesn't extend is the most egotistical, just about the most egotistical statement you could say. If you don't want to accept Christ, just say so. Don't come up, that's, that's, because otherwise you just, you're embracing a lie. I love the way John Ortberg said it in his book, Soul Keeping. He said, our soul's neediness only invites more of God's generosity. You weigh out there somewhere, there's enough grace to cover it. Raised in the church and hardly ever done anything wrong, there's enough grace to cover that too. But here's the trick. Both of you need grace. We all need grace. So what do you do? Well, if you flip the page in your Bible, you would realize that what happens is is that as John begins to preach these things, Pharisees and Sadducees come out and people from all over towns come out. And he, he, what he says to them is this in verse 11. Repent and be baptized. Surrender to this and be baptized. And that's what I would say to you. Surrender to this good news. If you've never embraced Christ and his death for you, say yes to him. Please say yes. And if you're here and you once said yes or you think you did, And yet your life has gone so sideways that you're not even sure you recognize the right path. Repent. Say yes. Say yes again. We'd like to help you. We'd like to help you with your next step. We're actually pretty good at it. If you'll give us a chance. It might be that baptism is the next step, but it might not be. It might mean that you need to do something else. Maybe you've already been baptized, but you're out of community. Maybe you, you've given into a habit so long that it's been, that thing has become an addiction to you, and you, you need some help getting some people around you to kind of get out of the, the, the habits and the patterns that you've done. Listen, habits eat willpower for lunch. Don't just come out of here going, I'm going to try harder. Man, that, you just, if that, would, that would break my heart. Because what I'm trying to tell you is it ain't about how hard you try. Let us help you. Here's a website, westgatechurch.org slash respond. We'll help you with whatever the next step might be. And I know you're thinking, oh my gosh, I ain't emailing them. Then they got my email and they'll spam me and they'll never leave me alone. No, we won't. Believe it or not, you're not that important. (laughs) If you tell us no, then we're moving on to somebody else that might say yes. I mean, I know that sounded horrible, but I mean, We're not here to badger you. As I've been preparing for this message, I thought, what could I, what could I give you? And this song came up. I'd never heard it before. I don't know why. And I found it on accident. I was looking for something else and I found this song and it's called None But Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, it's a difficult song to, to hear sung and embrace. Like, I, I have this opinion that 
I think the best thing for you to do, if you're singing a song with us and you come to words you can't really believe, you shouldn't sing them. Like we just sang a song earlier and it was like, um, oh shoot, uh, something about only Jesus. Um, I want only you. Nothing else, thank you. I'm like, I'm up here, I got nothing, right? And that's because it's nothing else. That's because should have given me a hint. But we sang this song as nothing else, nothing else will do. You know, I couldn't say, just as we sang that song this morning, both services, I changed the words for me. I didn't say, I want only you. I want to want only you is what I sang. And it wasn't as pretty and it didn't really fit the rhythm. But I'm, I, don't, I think it's bad for your soul to sing things out that you don't really think. I think that's called lying. And we here don't really want you to practice that, especially before God. And so what I, my challenge to you is to listen to this song. They're going to play it for you, but it's a song of surrender. And if, if, if as you hear the words, you're drawn to want to say yes, say yes. Say yes to whatever that might mean. Say yes. And if it's not, then just listen. Just listen to it and see if it might be something that stirs at least some step you might take towards this fantastic offer of the kingdom of heaven that is near. It's as close as a prayer away from you now. So thinking of that, let me pray. God, thanks. Thanks for the amazing gift of Christ. What a clear expression of your love for us. As we listen to this song, God, there's going to be some who have never said yes to you and your Holy Spirit is prompting them. May, may they have the faith and the courage to say yes to you today. And then there are others who are your children, and that, but they've been away a long time, or maybe even just a short time, but they've been really far away. And I pray as they hear these words, they would say yes. Say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.